0: Lord Christ, I pray that you would open our hearts this morning, that we might hear from you. Speak to us, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. You may be seated. So as I'm sure you've gathered, and as I've reminded you many, many times, we're in the season of Lent right now. And Lent, this is a season in which we fast from certain comforts, we confess sin with more earnestness, and we contemplate more dearly the cross of Christ. And there's a lot of very helpful analogies that we use uh, to describe this season to us. And one of my favorite uh, analogies—I use this in the front of the bulletin—but is that of examining the home of the home of our soul, sort of thinking of our our soul as a house in which God's presence can come in, and we are examining all the aspects of this house. And in Lent, this is the reason why we do this is because in Lent, it's, it's a season where our routines and stuff are kind of shifting a little bit. We're sort of thrown out of our comforts a little bit. Uh, we, sometimes we make changes to the things that we eat, the way we spend our time, the places that we go. In other words, those rhythms of home that we are so used to have kind of taken us out and and changed, and now we find ourselves in the wilderness. Things are strange here, and things are uncomfortable here. But there are good things about being in the wilderness. You see, from the wilderness, we're given a vantage point back at our home. We can look at our home from afar, and we can think about it a little more differently. And sometimes when we do this, we actually realize that this home of ours is actually far from perfect it's not quite as comfortable as we thought it was. We notice that there's cracks in the paint. There's dirty windows. Or maybe this time of year, you step back and you look at your home and you see ways in which the land is pitched towards your home, and that kind of explains why all this water was coming into your basement. You're like, oh my goodness, we need to take care of this. So from this vantage point of the wilderness, we see that this home that we have made for ourselves is simply a shadow of that great heavenly home that we all long for. This time in the wilderness is meant to show us what our true heavenly home is. That home is actually elsewhere. So a lot of you know I used to work for Apple. I'm, I'm quite a bit of a, a gadget guy. I'm a huge um, Apple nerd. Um, it's been a long time since I've given an Apple analogy. So some of you are like, yes. And some of you are like, oh, I thought we were through this. So <laughs> but for Lent, uh, and again, I know this is really silly, but for Lent... I actually gave up wearing my Apple Watch, so I'm wearing like a normal analog Apple Watch, right? You're laughing at me. I'm being so vulnerable with you right now. (laughs) You're just squashing my penitence, my fasting. I I get it, I get it. Uh, But this small gizmo, uh, it's this piece of technology that that I would bring with me everywhere. It's literally strapped to me. And not having it realizes, or it kind of shows me what it had been doing uh, to my soul. The way that it had sort of informed the home of my soul. And it's been showing me just how it, it, it kind of communicates this, this um, self-importance message to me. You know, I always want to be kept up to date, or I want to be uh, entertained. You know, these sorts of things. It's showing me uh, this psychologically comfortable home uh, that I have been constructing through this little tiny gizmo that I bring with me everywhere. Now, usually by the fourth week of Lent, this is when we start to notice these things, uh, and we think, okay, cool. So I've, I've learned my lesson. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we, we reach for the Apple Watch or whatever it is that you've given up, and you strap it back on, and you're like, I've, I've learned the lesson. Okay, Lent is it's really long. You know, I've, I've made it through the majority. It's, it's time to go back, you know? So whether you've given up fine beverages or chocolate or social media, my guess is that by this point you're like, I can probably go back. But I want to encourage you, like stick with it. Stick with it. Because we're still in the wilderness here. And the longer that we stand here, the more that we're able to, to understand these truths, the more that we're able to see where our comforts have been placed. So stick with it. And my hope is that here in the wilderness... We develop a taste and a longing for that true heavenly home that we all desire deep, deep down in our hearts. So several of you have been a part of our refugee life team. So you've been walking uh, with uh, a refugee family for, man, well over a year now, almost two years, right? Three? Wow, three years. The time, time is clipping by, let me tell you that. <laughs> um, but these friends who we've had, these are friends who have fled their homeland, a place of famine and of war in order to find a new home. And arriving here has brought many, many more problems. It's not like once they've gotten here, everything's fine, you know, and that they've made it. In many ways, this has been a good arrival for them. They're safe. They're becoming more stable. But there's a lot of challenges in learning a new language and watching the bills pile up and be like, oh, my goodness, America's expensive. Or maybe guarding their kids so that the bad influences of school isn't sort of bearing down on on their kids who are just eager to integrate and make friends. Sure, this is a better home than before, but in many ways, they're still very, very far from home. Well, the passages today, I think, speak to this. Each of these passages speak to this wilderness vantage point to home, and they're calling us to look more into what our home actually is, and so I'm going to do uh, kind of liturgical expository preaching here. I want to kind of hop through each one of these passages really, really quickly. I don't do this every single week. And these were, this is a lot of scripture, right? And, and usually I, I would trim down passages when it exceeds two pages. But I was like, restoration is so mature. We are so deep. We can handle this much scripture. We can do it. And I'm glad nobody got up in anger because it was a lot of Bible read today. This probably wouldn't be the church for you if, if you got up out of anger because too much Bible was being read. But anyway, <laughs> bit of an aside. So like I said, we're going to look at each one of these pictures of home. And my hope is that as we look at each of these passages, we hear what our home is supposed to look like. And we think, I want that. I want to be there. I want to live there. I want to, w- I want to be grounded there. So each one of these is a picture of home. And each one is going to have a different invitation to come into your heavenly home that I hope you all hear this morning. So first, let's look at the book of Joshua, chapter 5. Here we see the nation of Israel who are newly rescued slaves. And they've been looking for home for a long, long time. They've just been rescued out of Egypt, and they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God has been providing food for them to eat called manna, which literally means, what is it? Manna. God has also been giving them laws on how to act once they eventually arrive to their home. So they've had a lot of time, 40 years, to dream about what this place would look like. Eating the same food day after day, hearing the same, um, uh, hearing the laws talked about and how they would act once they got there, wondering when are we going to be home? When are we going to actually have a little bit of change in our meal plan? When are we actually going to be able to put these laws into practice, right? What will this home look like? And then God finally brings them there. He brings them there. They're able to, to, they walk up to the River Jordan just as their fathers walked up to the Red Sea and God parts that river and they walk through on dry ground. God is fulfilling the promises that he had made to these people long, long ago. Now, obviously their story isn't over and if you read through the rest of the Old Testament, you know that there's a lot of winding road that's happening along the way. But they're here now. They're finally home. And what happens next? Well, God marks them as his people. He marks them in a very real and tender, sort of squirmy kind of way that our modern ears are like, oh, that sounds extremely uncomfortable. But this is how God marks his people. They're circumcised as a sign of belonging to his family. And then secondly, they celebrate the great Passover feast. And so this is the first invitation that I think that we have here this morning. Come home to God's story. Come home to God's story. Be enveloped into his story that is for you. You see, I don't know if you realize this, but the people, well, I hope so because it says this here, but the people who were circumcised, the people who were talking about here, they actually weren't a part of that original Exodus story. Only uh, Joshua and Caleb were. The people who were talking about here, they didn't see the ten plagues. They didn't celebrate the first Passover in Egypt. They didn't walk through the Red Sea on dry ground, and they were never circumcised as God's people. But here, at Gilgal, that all changes. By God's grace, he recreates each one of those experiences for the people, and they are brought into the story. They are brought through the waters. They are circumcised. And then, as they've been set aside for God's people, they are then able to celebrate that great Passover feast with one another. And I love what the Bible says about this. Their reproach is taken away. No longer are you slaves. That is not the story that will mark your identity any longer. No, now you are marked as rescued people. You are mine, is what God is saying to them. Friends, this is what we do every single week at Restoration. We do this every single week. I'll come back to this a little bit more in a a little bit, but we feast every single week at this Passover table right here. Every single week, we are brought back into God's story. We are re-centered into the things that he is doing. We feast together, and we're sacramentally grafted in to God's people and what he is doing. And then this is the other piece. In doing so, each of our individual stories are woven together. The ways in which my faith has grown grown is now yours. The way that your faith has grown is now mine. And we can experience this life together. You know, I want to tell you the stories of the way in which God has taken away my reproach. I want to hear the ways in which God has taken away your reproach so that we can come together, feast together, and lift up his name. So friends, this is home. Come home to God's story. So second, let's look at the parable of the lost son from the Gospel of Luke. Now this is most uh, undoubtedly the most famous of parables. Uh, It's often called the crown jewel of Jesus' parables. I'm sure everyone in here has already heard it before, many, many, probably numerous times. So how do we look at this story in a fresh light today, this morning? How do we look at this in a fresh light? Well, I think one of the ways we can do that is actually to hold it in comparison to the story that we read in Joshua and kind of see how these two line up and how they talk to each other and how these stories uh, inform one another and how new things can kind of come to light when you do this with passages. So let's compare these two a little bit. So both Israel... And the lost son spent time in wilderness. Now Israel was in the wilderness due to their own, circumstance, er, um, due to circumstances uh, outside of their control in some ways. But the lost son most definitely placed himself in the wilderness, didn't he? prematurely demanding his inheritance, which is the equivalent of saying, "Dad, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me your stuff right now." And he goes in his place in the wilderness, where he eats the food of the wilderness. But then he has a moment of grace. And I love the way that this is phrased in verse 17. He comes, he came to himself. He, he with, he, he understands um, kind of his situation. And like Joshua, he comes back home. He comes home and the reproach is taken away from him. And I love the portrait that is painted of this. New clothes, a new robe is come and g- is given to him. And then there's a huge feast. Just like we saw in Joshua, where they feast together. In one story, we see the homecoming of an entire nation. And now in this story, we see the homecoming of a son who was dead. And now he comes back to life. So, how does this story call us home? Well, I would say this the second invitation for us this morning is to come home to your true self. Come home to your true self. And I don't mean this in some sort of like hippy-dippy soul quest kind of way. That's not what I mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're laughing because some of you thought that. <laughs> no, the son didn't discover something new about himself. He didn't have some sort of like epiphany moment out there with the pigs. No, he was remembering something of old. He was remembering something of old. You see, in the middle of the muck, in the middle of rolling around <laughs> with the pigs, with nobody else to talk to, he remembers that he is the son of a good, good father and memories of f- home start flooding his mind having his fill at the table working with dignity alongside his brother being able to spend some time with his dad you see even in his father's home the servants are treating are, are being treated with the utmost kindness and respect and the son remembers all of this he knows his dad and he knows that maybe there's still a chance there's probably still a chance that's there so I actually have a superpower. Um, I mostly work upstairs in our home, and I know from the way my kids walk up the stairs whether or not they're in trouble. <laughs> I can just totally tell. If it's a quick stomp, 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 that means Karis wants to wrestle or something like that. But if it's this like shuffling, sulking kind of thing, I'm like, yep, something's broken. Uh, someone's made somebody else mad, you know. And sometimes my superpower is just off the charts. I even know exactly what happened. I can say, hmm, you've yelled at your middle sister again, haven't you? You know, I know this. Now, do you think that the father in this story, of the lost son, do you think he knew what his boy had been doing? Of course. Of course he knows what his son had been doing. Of course he knows, and he still embraces him. Now, I don't know what kind of garbage you may have been rolling around in, but the Father knows. The Father knows totally. And He cannot wait to welcome you home. He is standing there waiting for you to come. And there is bread on the table with your name on it. He is waiting for you. Come home to your true self. So, uh, not yesterday, but the Saturday before, several of us from Restoration gathered at the Minneapolis Institute of Art, uh, and Bill Blansky led us through an exercise called Visio Divina, where he had these art pieces uh, available to us, and, and his life group also did, and we are going to do this again, so I know if some of you weren't able to make it, uh, and, and this was a, a men's opportunity for this, um, so this is super cool, it will happen again, I promise. <laughs> But he had these art pieces out on a table, and we all chose one, uh, and then we went somewhere in the museum to find that art piece, and we just sat in front of it uh, for 20, 30, or maybe 40 minutes, and just prayerfully soaked in that moment and the message that that piece um, had for us, what, what God was going to say to us through that piece. And so I, I, I kind of cheated a little bit. I knew that the prodigal son was coming up in the lectionary, so I was like, oh, Blansky put the prodigal son out there, so I, I was one of the first guys to grab selfishly a card. And So I grabbed the prodigal son and I ran upstairs and, and sat in front of this piece by Genzi. Now, s- many of you are probably familiar with Rembrandt's prodigal son. That one is it's, it's very dark, but it's, it's warm, and it sort of focuses you on that, that warm embrace of the father. You know, you see his firm hand and you see his gentle hand knowing that the, the son has come home. Well, Genzi's depiction of it it's pretty remarkably different. You still see the embrace, the the father sort of embracing the son and welcoming him home. But all around the piece is this party that's going on. And your eye is just moving constantly from scene to scene of this party. It's pretty stinking cool. You see the the servants who are dragging in the fattened calf. You know, and they're like, oh my gosh, really? We're bringing it in for this guy? You see these two women kind of in the background who have this glow about them And and when I was talking about this with my wife, she was like, are you sure they weren't angels? And I think that that's intentionally ambiguous. Like, I don't know. Maybe they're angels. Maybe they're just people they're celebrating. One of them has a tambourine, but they're excited that the son has come back home. And then there's another woman on the left side who's carrying in the garments that the father has just demanded be brought in. She's wearing this beautiful blue um, robe herself, and she's carrying these garments. And she's just walking with dignity as she brings them in. And what's neat is each of, these pe- each of these sort of aspects of the piece form a circle around the sun. And so your eyes are just constantly moving around and around. But my eyes kept going and sort of coming back to that woman dressed in blue who was bringing in the garments. And I don't know why, but my attention just kept on focusing on her. And I thought, I, f- I feel like there's something that's going on here. You see, in a lot of Christian fine art, when you see a woman who's dressed in blue, particularly this shade of blue, this light blue, That's supposed to be Mary. And I was thinking, why is Mary in this depiction of the prodigal son? You know, why is she bringing in these garments? What is Mary doing here? Well, as many of you might know, Mary oftentimes symbolizes the church. She is that that beautiful, amazing disciple that all of us aspire to be like. She embodies what we as the church are supposed to be doing, the way that we are supposed to be behaving. And so what is it that Mary is doing, if this is perhaps the artist's intent to have Mary, what is she doing in this painting? She's bringing in the garments for the son. She's partnering with the father. She follows the father's command. Quick, get the best robes and put them on him. This is a sign of the church. This is a sign of what you and I are supposed to be doing. We, the church, get to partner with our heavenly father. We are called to bring in the robes of reconciliation. And to proclaim, those who've been lost have been found. Those who were dead are now alive again. God calls us to partner in this work with him. To co-labor with him in the reconciliation of all things. (sighs) Sorry. So my third invitation is this. Come home to the church. Come home to where we get to partner with God. And in case you think that this is just me making a a major um, point out of a loose interpretation of an experience i had at the minneapolis art institute (laughs) turn your attention to second corinthians it's right there i'm not making this stuff up it's right there in second corinthians in verse 17 it says if anyone is in christ he is a new creation in christ that is a statement of location that is where our home is supposed to be in christ that is where we are We have been circumcised, not with flint knives out in Israel, that painful experience, no. But we've been circumcised with water and with the Holy Spirit. Our hearts have been circumcised. And we have been placed into the body of Christ, that is the church. We are ambassadors of Christ, is what Paul tells us there in verse 20. As soon as we come home to God, as soon as we root our true self in Him, He commissions us to go and bring more to the table. Paul says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What an honor. We are called to be partners in the ministry of reconciliation. So at many Anglican churches, uh, the pastors usually wear a white uh, alb. Uh, not just Anglican churches, but a lot of liturgical churches wear a white alb. Um, sometimes it's called a robe. Uh, in fact, at our church in Alabama, when I, when I first put on an alb and was standing in front of the church uh, doing, you know, pastor things. Uh, my, my daughter yelled out from the front row, nice dress, Dad. <laughs> I was like, awesome, great. I'm glad this is working. But the alb is supposed to be a sign of your baptism. In fact, anyone who's been baptized is entitled to wear an alb. I, we don't hear in the gymnasium just because it's, I don't know, it's, it's a little uh, strange. Um, but that's not to say that if you see me ministering at Church of the Cross or other places, uh, you'll see me wearing that white um, alb. And it's a symbol of our baptism, as I've said. It's a symbol not just that the priest has been, but that the congregation has been washed by Christ. And that we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So whenever you see someone wearing that in the service, may you be reminded of of the forgiveness that you have been offered and that you are welcomed into the church. Now some of you here have not yet been baptized. And I've got good news for you. Maybe you haven't been baptized because you're new to the faith. Maybe you're still kind of figuring things out here at Restoration. Do I really want to be baptized in a gymnasium? That that seems kind of strange. You know, you're sort of still figuring these things out. And we have an odd practice here at Restoration. So we take our cues from the book of Joshua and and other places in the Old Testament where you, you you first have to be circumcised before you can come to celebrate the feast. And so we have this thing in, in our tradition and many other of the great traditions of Christianity is before you come to the table, we ask that you have been baptized before. And I know that that's been uncomfortable for many of you. And if you're sitting in here thinking Rick's talking just to me, no, there's a lot of people in here who, who fit this uh, description. And I know it's uncomfortable because your soul is hungry. And Your soul is hungry to come to the table. You want to come to the table. And that is a sign, my friends, that it's time. It's good to come and be baptized. If you're hungry, then come and be washed. Come and be welcomed because I've got good news for you. It's absolutely free. It's free. There's nothing you have to pay. We're not going to make you do crazy things. God willing, uh, we will have baptisms on Easter. It's just a few weeks away too. It's like, what, three weeks away? Oh my goodness. Got a lot of work to do, don't we? But come to me and talk about baptism. What a fun and wonderful day to be baptized, right? It's time to be clothed in those garments of righteousness. I don't think I'll wear an alb today, but we can, on that day, but we can pretend, right? It's time to be clothed in those garments of righteousness. Now, many of you have been baptized, and that doesn't mean that this message isn't for you, no. My prayer for you is that during this Lent, during this season of walking through the wilderness, you would be drawn into greater depths of your home inside of the Father's heart into greater depths of being rooted in Christ himself. May you continue during the season of Lent to come home to God. Let us pray. Lord God, many of us in this room are in the wilderness. Some of us are in the wilderness because of circumstances outside of our control. Some of us just because it's Lent and we're told it's time to go out in the wilderness, and so here we are. And others are in the wilderness because of clear decisions that we have made. Lord, we are restless until we find our rest in you. Lord, I pray for every individual who is in here that they would know that that you are waiting to receive them home. That you are waiting to take away their reproach. To seat them at your table. To clothe you with the robes of righteousness. Lord, may we come home this Lent, either for the first time or the 101st time. Lord, may we come home to your story, to our true self, and to the church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.